Welcome to the Neuropod, the podcast for neurodiagnostic professionals. Knowledge is power, and more knowledge can lead to better patient outcomes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jason Meyer, your host for the show. Today's topic is going to be about providing care in compliance with industry guidelines. Our guest today and subject matter expert is Sheree Young for Neuroscience Advisors. Hi, Sheree. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. Well, let's kick off with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself. So I've spent many years in neurodiagnostics. I was fortunate to complete an EEG program when I first started in my career, um, performing EEGs, and I just continued to expand my knowledge in the field, performing evoke potentials, long-term monitor, interoperative monitoring, all it's a technologist. Um, I've served as a supervisor, manager, director of neuroscience service line, asset board of trustee, asset executive member, and now I get to work as a consultant. Oh, that's awesome. So you, you've done the work, you've been in the OR, you've handled patients, you've done all the clinical stuff, and then you got to supervise, and then it sounds like you moved up to a director level um, as well. So that's awesome. That's awesome. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm lucky and happy that we got to have you come in today. Um, why, uh, why'd you move on to consulting? Um, it's quite a track record, but why'd you take this next step into helping others? Well, Jason, we all know EEG labs and technologists are not always recognized for the value that we bring to patient care, right? Yeah. I follow the EEG groups. <laughs> you could see some of the frustrations that people are like, they don't even know what we do or why we exist. So, And then I sold equipment, and a lot of times you go into, you find the EEG department just tucked away in a dark corner in the in the basement of the hospital. And yeah. uh, many or few people even knew where it was, but... So I understand, absolutely. Well, and I feel like in today's market, um, neurodiagnostics has just totally expanded. And with the whole monitor your brain like it's your heart Mm -hmm. has really come forward. We rely on our technologists so much more. Um, and, And sometimes our profession suffers from a lack of education. They suffer from tech shortages. Some labs have avoidant leadership. Maybe they have managers, but they oversee multiple departments. Mm -hmm. And they may not understand the neurodiagnostic procedures or even know that more than one policy should be in place for all the procedures that we perform. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that. And again, back to my days of selling equipment, I would ask where the EEG department is, and I'd get sent to cardiology because people thought it was an ECG I was asking for. Um, but I'd find myself in the right department because it reported to cardiology. Uh, I hate to call it this, but it's almost like the stepchildren sometimes in some of the hospitals. It's a program kind of just out there, over yeah. there. And I think that's beginning to change. Many facilities, um, you know, the latest Growth in hospitals now are service lines. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of facilities that want to grow a neuroscience service line to Mm -hmm. encompass not just their EEG, but their ICU EEGs and, um, you know, maybe have an in-house IOM. So one of the things I enjoy about consulting is I get the opportunity to sit with administrators, offer guidance, help managers 
understand the industry standards and guidelines for all of our procedures. Mm -hmm. Um, The opportunity to review CPT codes and charges to maximize revenue for the procedures. Um, Sharing education with technologists. I I love being a mentor and actually helping the technologist um, get on the right path for registry. Mm -hmm. You know, explain what ABRET is, explain the outline, talk about the books that they use for references. How how to build a library for the hospital or for the department to support the education side and continue to grow their knowledge, yeah. Absolutely. I can tell that you're super sincere because your face lit up when you told me about a story about uh, one of your seven unregistered, whatever the number was, a number of unregistered texts, and you just got one credentialed. And when you were telling me the story... You were so excited because you were telling me how excited she was and how from the VP level down, they called and thanked you for helping this this uh, first credential tech get through get through their REGT. Right. Yeah. And she did it on her own. I just gave her the mentorship, the confidence that she needed, and I helped her out with some trouble areas. You mm-hmm. know, filters everybody struggles with, especially if you didn't weren't formally trained in EEG. Yeah, I, well, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I can tell looking at you now, you, you certainly um, you know, feel, feel I a also, sense of accomplishment when you, do, when you do that. Right. You know, and working with physicians and helping them develop a team of technologists that can provide better patient outcomes through the neurodiagnostic studies. So many times, you know, neurologists have different asks or wants, but they don't want to manage the EEG team. Mm -hmm. They just want someone to say, this is what I want. I need you to implement it. Yeah. Yeah. So if it were one of those departments, by the way, I just want to make a note that when I talked about the stepchildren tucked away in the basement, I think I think personally that the EG department is getting more acknowledgement for the science and the knowledge that's provided from the studies, um, and, and obviously it's been well accepted in in the field specific to epilepsy. But I think it's, it's the need for it and the demand for it and the acceptance of it seems to really be growing within the hospital with the other subspecialties. Right. So it's a time for our technologists to actually shine. So mm-hmm. let's do our best mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we can do. And, and you're probably going to touch on this, but uh, tech shortages, um, boy, I, so I, I watch Facebook and I see these, these different groups and the concerns and the questions that people bring to the, to the group. And um, there's always one about, you know, there's tech shortages, what, what are, you know, or, what, what, or there's always concerns about the pathways, which we're going to do a podcast on that and just cover explicitly pathways and what the requirements are. And what some of the bypasses are, like the petitioning process, not bypasses, but uh, alternative routes to, the, mm-hmm. to those. But I th- I'm hoping that we get a guest from Abbott to cover that in very good detail. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk about industry standards and compliance to, or, or providing care in compliance with those standards. Um, do you want to go with that for me? Sure. Uh, you know, a critical part of every procedure is the policies that are in place, and the technologist compliance to those policies. Mm -hmm. Just as important that the policies in place are written in accordance with ACNS guidelines. Um, These are industry standards that we use as a benchmark for every study. Are are these like, if if we're in a manufacturing, there's there's going to be a quality manual, and in that quality manual, manual, a part of it or a term we hear a lot is SOPs. 
standard operating procedures, step-by-step step what every job or responsibility has, the way it needs to be done to do it the way that, that in a quality manner. Um, are they similar? Well, you know, po sure, because policies are written, they're written processes or steps on how procedures should be performed for every patient. Mm -hmm. Consistency. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so you get so the the sounds like the purpose is consistency between patients because I understand um, you'll often review a past EEG and use it as a benchmark to compare. Sure, not just within your facility, but you know, consistency. If that EEG leaves and goes to another facility or an epilepsy center, people are looking at your EEG, mm -hmm. using it to compare to a more recent EEG. Right. But getting back to the guidelines, mm -hmm. um, you know, ACNS uh, is the American Clinical Neurophysiology Society. And, you know, I think in 1970 is when they first published guidelines to define technical and professional competencies necessary for, to apply, you know, for clinical application of a EEG and evoke potential. Mm -hmm. And these guidelines are there for a reason. They need to be followed. Um, we need consistency of standards throughout EEG. Mm -hmm. So, and again, sorry to use this reference, but having been involved in manufacturing, it's, it's, a, it's the steps to achieve quality, and it's also critical to be consistent within, between facilities. Okay, so um, Sheree, why, why are the policies and the guidelines so important? Now that you've told us what they are, why is compliance to these so important? Well, Jason, without guidelines and policies in place and being adhered to by technologists, studies can result in poor quality, making it difficult for a physician to interpret and treat the patient appropriately. Okay, okay, that kind of closes the loop. Um, sounds like a good time to take a break and then uh, have our sponsor you, uh, owner of uh, Neuroscience Advisors. We'll, I'm going to run a quick plug for you, and we'll be back, and I'd like you to walk us through what a policy looks like. Sound good? All right. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Neuroscience Advisors, helping providers achieve better patient outcomes. Are your reading physicians unhappy with the quality of your team's EEG recordings? Is there a void in leadership and mentoring in your department because your supervisor has never done an EEG? Or is your department running smoothly and you're ready to add some new services such as neuromonitoring, a dedicated EMU, or the monitoring of critically ill patients? If any of these scenarios sounds like your department, you need neuroscience advisors. From implementing industry standard policies and procedures, to the credentialing of your staff, or even to guiding you through the startup of new service lines, Neuroscience Advisors can put you on the path to providing the best care for your patients. For more information, visit www.neuroscienceadvisors.com. There you can schedule a free consultation where they will review your issues and discuss how they can help your team provide the best care for your patients. Welcome back to the Neuropod. We're here with our subject matter expert, Sheree Young with Neuroscience Advisors. And uh, Sheree, that was a great explanation on uh, 
the policies, what they're used for, um, what the ACNS is, and, um, and uh, how they're important to our industry and the procedures. So how about, let's pick up with you walking us through, call it a routine EEG. What would a policy look like? Okay, so Jason, as I mentioned before, you know, policies should include written steps on how the routine EEG should be performed. And these should include measuring using the international 1020 system for the application of electrodes. Um, the steps should also be in line with ACNS guidelines on the EEG. Um, from the electrodes, montages, filter settings, length of recording, can all be part of your routine EEG policy. Okay. Also, you may want to include when to provide photic stimulation. When do you sleep deprive? When do you um, hyperventilate? And mm -hmm. what are your contraindications? Mm -hmm. So all those contraindications being uh, to hyperventilation that are from the you, you don't do that for certain populations, right? Correct. Okay. Okay. Good. So in addition to that, um, you know, if you perform. You don't use one routine EEG policy for all the EEGs you do. If you're doing ne neonatal EEGs, you just should have a different policy. Okay. If you're doing CEEG, you should have a different policy. If you have an EMU, you should have a different policy for those procedures. Okay. Okay, good. And then there's also other department policies that should be in place for things like performing a patient with COVID or seizure management, or infection control for the lab. Okay. Those are all policies that should be in place for your department. Okay. Okay, good. So um, so there are standards. They're used for consistency and for management of quality. Now that you've gone through a policy, we know what it looks like. We understand why it's important. Um, what resources are available to our listeners to be able to pull together and build a good compliant with ACNS guidelines policy and write it for their hospital and their procedures? Sure. Um, first, ACNS guidelines are published out on the web. You okay. can go to their web ACNS webpage and get the guidelines. So that is, that is free information out there. I know ASSET has published a book for lab managers um, that have written policy and procedures for all the neurodiagnostic studies. I think, um, I think I've seen that, and there's even a couple options to choose from for each procedure. Mm -hmm. You know, one that you could choose and then modify and put it to your style and, and incorporate it as a policy for your lab. You know, and I think if you're doing the research, um, you can also go to the ABRET website and look at their lab re lab certification mm -hmm. for EEG. Mm -hmm. um, what their they actually outline are. what they look for for the quality in your EEG. Um, so, you know. So they'll pull some EEGs and look at the EEG. And so when you know what they're looking for, that's a good indication of what these standards are for the ACNS. Sure. The published guidelines. They're not to be used as a standard. I only put that out there as, you know, going to APRET as just a reference if you are looking at writing your own policies and you want to make sure you capture everything. 
I just suggest it's a just an extra sure sure read for the text. Excellent. So, if a lab or a technologist is not in compliance with guidelines, and they're not in compliance or strict compliance with a well-written policy for, again, using as a reference or a routine EEG, what's the impact on patient care well, for, for non-compliance? You know, we have industry standards like how to measure a patient's head and accurately apply electrodes in place for a reason. Inaccurate placement can result in electrodes being applied too close together, which could reduce the amplitude of the EEG. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not measuring and just applying electrodes, are they too far apart? Maybe increase the amplitude of the EEG between those two electrodes. How does that compare between the left and the right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have one side, electrodes are a little bit closer together, it looks a little lower amplitude, the other side, they're a little bit further apart. There's larger amplitude. So the physician's going to question. And, yeah, cause, Is and there an asymmetry between the hemispheres? Was, Is something else going say, on? They'll oftentimes compare a left side to a right side. And they'll have montages that are built to compare. And not, not to get into the weeds, but they sometimes use colors. A red for right and maybe another color for the left. And they'll, have, they'll compare them within a montage, correct? Yes. Side to side. Okay. So, and that will make it look like an abnormal EEG if you have two centimeters centimeters between, or, or sorry, that probably would be a little too close. But if they were off by a centimeter or two, that could make them look like a, an abnormal EEG. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. You know, and there's also, I mean, if you have a patient being worked up for epilepsy surgery, um, or even... Say you you place F8 closer to the F4 because you didn't measure. You just spotted and put the electrode on there. Yeah. So your I, I your bought, electrodes. I, bought, I hear the term. Yeah, your electrodes aren't exactly where they're supposed to be. The EEG has an abnormality. Your doctor says, "Oh, it's F4 area." They go for an MRI. The brain abnormality is actually looking like F8 area yeah. now. Yeah, someone's looking bad. So. Now your physicians and your surgeons are starting to not trust the studies that come from your lab or from that tech. Yeah. Because now there's something, how do we have a brain abnormality underlying where your F8 electrode should be? However, you kind of placed your F8 closer to your F4 electrode, and so your doctor read it as F4. I mean, these things do happen. Yeah. They do happen. Yeah. And uh, that and that, it's unfortunate for our patient. Yeah, and that study is gonna make uh, the whole the whole system look bad, huh? And it's gonna compromise uh, patient care, obviously. Sure. Well, yeah. it it compromises patient care. Um, it can delay care. It can cause, you know, I mean, if your EEG is misinterpreted, treatment may be different, or you may go untreated. Mm-hmm. You know. That EEG has your name on it mm-hmm. and your facility's name on it. Mm-hmm. And that follows that patient everywhere. So it yeah. says everything about you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you... if they end up at another facility, EEGs are compared. Now you have other people seeing the inaccuracies coming from that tech, that lab, that facility. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's not good. Especially if you, you want know? to grow your business in the, in the region and become a, 
uh, a leader in neurosciences. Sure, and then and then you have physicians that don't trust the quality of the EEG. There's no reason for that. We have policies and guidelines in place. They just need to be followed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, quality begins with the connection of the patient. Let's provide better patient outcomes. Yeah. Follow the guidelines. Comply with the industry standards. Yeah. There's a lot we can do to improve. Yeah. And I, I have to give credit where credit's due. I am certain it was you that said to me, if you or your family member were the patient, wouldn't you want to have the best care and have them be in a lab that's following the, the guidelines? Boy, I, honestly, I'd be furious if I went from one facility to another and then had a physician be truthful and go, wow, that's a bad study. I don't think they would do that, but just think of the frustration that it would cause for a family and not to mention to have to do a do-over and have to go back and put your, your loved one through, through another procedure. Sure, so. especially if the procedure, you know, if it were a young child and it required sedation, now we're resedating a patient to get that's not good. another study, um, the expense of it mm-hmm. and it and it and it could all be avoided wow yep yep well i'll tell you what i think that was a good one to start we're going to definitely do some um some more episodes about pathways i think that's going to be important because i know there's a lot of techs out there that want to pursue credentialing um but don't fully understand even even the pathway so i'm looking forward to that one um and uh we'll certainly provide for our, our uh, uh listeners that you can be in, in touch with uh, Sharif if you think that her business can help your facility. Um, I know she's put many of uh, hospitals on the path to better patient outcomes. So, Well, thank you, Jason. appreciate you coming in and sharing some of your knowledge with us. And we'll definitely would love to have you back. Sure. And then contact me through email, Sheree at neuroscienceadvisors.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been the Neuropod Podcast, the podcast for neurodiagnostic professionals.